My definition of friendship is any relationship where both people feel seen in a safe and satisfying way. I and wrote so, that down. I wrote that down and put it on my sticky note right next to me. Yeah. <laughs> and so it can be broad. And I would say like, you know, here we are, Arthur and Dia and myself are connecting. And in this moment, we would have the loosest level of that. You know, we're not confiding. We're not going to be right promising ourselves to be friends forever. But in this moment, we each want to be seen. Hey everyone, welcome to the Dia Bondi Show, a big podcast for women with goals. And when I'm saying goals, I mean all the kinds of goals. You got business goals, you got career goals, you got financial goals, you got adventure goals, you got family goals, you got life goals. If you have a goal, we're so happy to have you here. And whatever kind of goal you have and you're working on is fully legit, gets to be present, and we're hoping to give you some tools to help you get there as fast as you possibly can. I'm so glad to be here with you today, and I'm so glad to be here today with my and our on-air producer, Arthur Leon Adams III. Hi, Arthur. Hey, everybody. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I know you are. I love it it's so much. What's going on with you today? Oh, you know... um, just a pretty busy morning, did a little workout, and then just had to put together a proposal and blah, blah, blah. All that stuff. Yeah. The folks that are listening maybe do or don't know, but I, I enjoy a workout here and there. Um, that's something you know about me, Arthur. And um, I was so thrilled to, to see you. Maybe it was like a year ago where you just were like, I'm starting to jump. You picked up a jump rope. Like jump rope's your jam right now. Jump rope has been my jam on and off for many, many years. But I got into the habit of doing it every other day. Yeah, about a year ago. Right. And you're super straightforward. You just like pick up a rope and you do like, you just do skips for like, you just do skips and numbers of skips. That's it. I, yeah, I, I do. I do hops and, and I do running, right. uh, running skips. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. It's funny when, when I told you uh, that at first about it, you were like, oh yeah. So what do you like to do? I like to do the thing where I cross my arms and then I go to the left and the right. And then I try to do a double jump and I'm like, no, no, Dia, I just have a rope and I jump over it. I know. Like I actually actively resist the temptation to buy you like a weighted rope, a beaded rope, uh-huh. a lightweight PVC rope. Yeah. Like I was like, I'm, I'm actively trying not to get all up in your jump rope jam. J- just know that like it, it warms my heart to know that you're jumping over a rope in the courtyard at your house. And my whole thing, you said, you know, you're talking about how you love working out. I do not. I hate it, but I do it. Yeah. Well, that's what matters. Yeah. That's what matters. That's what matters. So um, I have something on my mind today. Oh, yeah? What's on your mind, Dia? So, you know, since I launched this project all tied to helping women ask for more and get it, like my main strategy to get this in front of as many women as possible has been a B2B strategy. So I bring workshops and keynotes to audiences for women's associations and organizations and, um, It's so funny, like when I send a proposal out or I'm working with a content, um, you know, an events manager or something, one of the pieces of, it's not feedback, but like one of the things that shows up from executive teams who sort of, I don't know, I don't know that they don't get it, but like they just, there's a thing where it's like, oh, if we teach women to ask for more and get it, are we going to bankrupt ourselves? Like you're going to come in and teach women how to ask for more and get it. And we're just going to end up with like 300 women asking for a raise in our next, on our next, you know, review cycle. And I'm like, you guys are missing it. A, oh God forbid a bunch of women ask for what they want. Number one. Number two, 
it's so, it, it's like the moment I say ask for more and get it, it's really easy for everyone to default to thinking that that means salary negotiations and promotion. And while it does to some degree, there's so many other things that we can ask for and ask for more of when we go to make that ask that matter not just to us, but to our employers as well. Like when you have women who are making asks on behalf of the kind of impact and potential that they have for their own dreams for themselves internally, and you enable that kind of, you know, uh, ambition and um, I don't know, and strength and authentic pursuit of a real goal, you end up like nurturing rock stars is what you do. Like you don't end up bankrupting yourself. So everybody just needs to calm down for a minute and understand that this is actually great for retention and engagement and for So for those of you who are worried that all the women are going to run out and all of a sudden start hammering you for salary increases, like in a lot of cases, when I have follow-up coaching circles with women who are in my workshops and keynotes, like few of them, maybe one in five are are having a money goal. Not to say that that's good, bad, or otherwise, but like y'all don't have a reason to be scared. Most of them are like, how do I be successful with this new initiative? I think that I want to lead this new team, which I think is going to save the company kajillions of dollars. Or I really see that... There's an opportunity to do this, but nobody else is seeing it. I want to pursue that as a, you know, as an impact area or a new role or a new function or a new way. Like they're doing things that are good for their career because they see an opportunity to be great somewhere. They see a place for their potential to grow. So like, just calm down. That's really funny. And it's funny too. You can just imagine them thinking, oh, so these women are going to know that they can ask for more money and that we might actually have it in our budget to give it to them. Yeah, and look, it, you know, what's what's funny, and I think I told this story not long ago, is that the first person who said to me, Dia, if you're, if you're not considering all the other asks that you have to make outside of salary, you know, comp package stuff and promotion stuff, like you're kind of missing the boat, was an engineering leader. Like she was an in-house prof- professional. And that's all proven to be true. I told a story this morning in one of a – in an exploratory call with a potential client about, you know, a story of a woman who was a, ran, worked in sales in her organization for a long time and was looking at, at using asking as a success strategy. What she really wanted to do was change her career into design, into the creative space. And she assumed she had to leave her organization in order to do that, that they were going to, they were going to lose her talent to do that. That the only way for her to to cultivate that new career, to make that pivot and cultivate that new career was going to be out in another company. And what Ask For More and Get It meant for her was to go to her manager, let her dreams be known, and for them to carve a pathway for her to be able to pursue that new goal in-house. And they managed to do that. And what that means is that she felt emboldened enough to ask for more and get it, to take a risk on that organization and say, instead of me quitting and assuming I have to go somewhere else to fulfill my dreams, what if it happened here? And that manager, that organization got to retain her talent. And by the way, when she moved over to the design team, into the creative function, she brought all of that institutional knowledge from her sales role, from her client-facing sales role that she'd been doing up until that point. So how is that not good for everybody? It's great for everybody. And I just feel like over and over again, the more we are honest with ourselves and the people around us with what we want and where we, what we see for ourselves, the more actually everybody wins. Uh, Today, we have a little something to share that we got from a workshop participant, and what she said in this email was, I'd like to thank you from the bottom of my heart. This week's sessions were truly inspiring. Thanks for your energy and enthusiasm. 
please keep touching the lives of many more women. I love this one. And it's just so simple, but I love, thank you so much for taking time and sending this note to our hello at email at diabondi.com because this, you know, sometimes I can get in front of a large audience and even a small audience. And I, and while I get a lot of thumbs up in the chat because everything is virtual right now, you know, to get a note from somebody directly is like so lovely. And what I see over and over again when we do get these is that they are so much more, they are so often about how this work is important to the women that, uh, like somebody's individual experience with it. But then it's also like all these women that are part of this mission are are on board because they they want to have a rising tide float all boats. I mean that she finishes here by saying that she wants to keep she wants me to keep touching the lives of many more women. Like, yes. Everybody who's helped me with this project, including you, Arthur, have been like, yeah, how do we get on board to help with the thing you're trying to do? And um it's just so common for other women to 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 say like I want to help you not because they want to help me but because they want to help get ideas and um, ideas and strategies not just for me but from lots of places in the hands of other women so we can all be elevated. So yes, thank you thank you so much for sending us a note and um, anybody listening could send us a note to hello at diabondi.com. That's right. This is only episode five, but if you want to let us know what's what you're liking about this podcast so we can keep doing it or what you'd like to hear more of, we love to hear that because we want to co-create with listeners so that we bring you something that is fun, but also very useful and um, delightful for you in your lives. So don't be shy. Yeah. And the other interactive element of the show is that if you have a question about something about the show or an important ask in your life, you can actually give us a call at 341-333-2997 and ask a question and maybe Dia will uh, talk about it on a future episode. Great. And in general, if you're into the show... You don't just have to email us or call us. You can subscribe, you can rate it, you can write a review and uh, help the show reach more people. So um, let's see, what are we doing today? Today, we have the first guest ever on the Diabondi Show. I'm so excited. And her name is Shasta Nelson. She is. We do have this guest, Shasta Nelson. She is a leading expert on friendship who speaks across the country. I mean, not right now, but when we are IRL, she speaks all over the country. And she facilitates events for all about connection. And she's been quoted in magazines and newspapers, online and print, including the New York Times, Washington Post, and Reader's Digest, and has been interviewed live on over dozens of TV shows. Check this out, including the Today show and the Steve Harvey show kind of feeling intimidated um, but if you haven't if you haven't yet seen her popular TEDx talk you'll want to check that out I watched it actually a couple of weeks ago and she does not pull punches let me just say enthusiastic and like you know right for the jugular her previous books she wrote three books which is why I invited her onto the show I mean all her work um, is why I invited her but her, um, her three books that she has out right now are friendships don't just happen which is a guide for making new friends as an adult which seems like such an incredible asset um, friend to Missy how to deepen friendships for lifelong health and happiness which teaches us how to make our relationships more meaningful who doesn't want that and in her newest book she takes all all of her expertise about friendships and puts it and applies it to the workplace. Her latest book is called The Business of Friendship, Making the Most of Our Relationships Where We Spend Most of Our Time. So I'm so glad to have Shasta Nelson with us today. Hello, Shasta Nelson. Hi. (laughs) 
I'm so glad to have you on the Dia Bondi Show as our very, very first guest for actually episode five. I'm honored, I'm honored, I'm honored. It's so funny. So I first met you, yes, at the Clock Factory where Arthur and I used to have a shared an office space together along with a few other creatives and um, production types. We, I was hosting um, Maria Ross's um, book launch for The Empathy Edge, which I listened to, I listened to The Business of Friendship over the weekend, and I heard you cite her book in there. Yay. Yes, yes. Also, side note for your book, like, holy research. Wow. <laughs> there was a on lot. That. Yeah, we'll talk about that. But um, but I remember I, there was some, we didn't get a, a chance to visit very much, but I was so compelled by you for whatever reason. You were there with your husband, I think. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ooh, that's a Shasta Nelson. I want to get to know her. <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> and I remember we talked about potlucking. Yes, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. And then, and then the whole world shut down. <laughs> I know, I know. We were like, let's be in a potluck together because I, I never really loved potlucking until I became a full-on adult and actually as a parent. Like, potlucking to me is the most low-stakes, beautiful, generous way to cultivate friendships. My Like, my favorite thing about a potluck well, so so during that time when we were non-COVID, let me just talk about some weird friendship stuff for just a second. Maybe it's, yeah. maybe you'd be like, no, it's not weird. It's amazing, <laughs> but I think it's weird. I we had these we always had these Sunday night potlucks at my house. We we live in a neighborhood that's fairly dense, and all of us who are, you know, uh, parent friends, there's a group of maybe five sort of core families hang out together. We have these evening, we have these end of the week potlucks. Arthur, I think I extended an invitation to you a few times where I'm like, hey, we're doing a courtyard six o'clock, um, and. And like the core, yeah, the core group is like, no problem. I got a salad, leftover spinach salad, and I got this soup. I'm going to bring whatever. And we like do a thing. And then when new families who we were like, oh, let's totally invite them, would get folded in, like, you know, I'm mostly friends with the moms in these groups. Like, it was always so fun and delightful to have these moms show up with their whatever thing they thought was a paltry offering (laughs) and to feel like it wasn't good enough or they were going to be teased or like it was, you know, it's like a vulnerable moment (laughs) to bring and share food. And that like we, me and my friend Maya and actually some of the other women I'll talk about today would just be like, no, like you, if you have to bring cheese and crackers, girl, we got you. Like that's, that's yes. And I feel like it was such like an initiation for folks to come in and feel like they could bring whatever they had and have it not be a problem, you know? I love that. You just described like the friendship dream that so many people have. Like A, the idea of getting folded into a group that's so amazing or even having this consistent community where you know that these people will notice if you're missing or gone. And then I love the part about the potluck element. Like for me, friendship is always with food. Like that's just, those two things just go together so well. But the thing about the potluck I think is so great is it takes us out of like, to your point, it takes us out of the entertaining mode and puts us more in the connecting and sharing and breaking bread together mode. But we still come with that, like wanting to impress each other. Yeah. It has like built in vulnerability. It is. You got to bring, you got to take the risk of bringing something to share. Even if you're a bad cook or you were really tired, you just had to go into your cupboard and bring a box of crackers. Totally. And yeah, that's what we all kind of dream of is the friend that can just like come over with the messy house that we don't have to wow. And we don't have to like put on the whole entertaining meal. We can just order pizza you know like that's the dream and yet we're kind of scared to like go straight there so that's a great story so yeah we never got to have our potluck Shasta but I feel like this is the first one we're having right now awesome we're bringing our ideas together to the table how about that (laughs) there we go there we go Dia I promise I will come to one of your potlucks one of these days um uh when you give me more than three hours notice I know it it does it does happen that way a lot. I just like send a text thread. I'm like, how about what do you have? Come up come up the hill 
alone. Three hours. Yeah, it's true. So I, I wanted to bring you on the show because A, you're a friendship expert, which is just in and of itself completely badass. And then the the other thing was that, you know, I have in the last two years launched this project that started with this project called Ask Like an Auctioneer, aimed at helping a million women ask for more and get it, using everything I learned from my wild and goofy midlife impact hobby I took on of auctioneering for women-led nonprofits and nonprofits that benefit women and girls. And that slowly sort of morphed into a mission to help put more money and decision-making power in the hands of women so we can change everything for all of us. And as part of that, you know, we, we're we launching, this is episode five of the Dia Bondi Show, a big podcast for women with goals. So something that, you know, has sort of stayed in my heart since I launched this this new sort of mission and project is that I, I was involved with the Women's um, Network a couple of years ago, and we went to, it was a, a digital virtual network that had sometimes sort of city-specific face-to-face meetups. And so I went to one in the San, in San Francisco one night, and we all, I don't know how many women there were there, maybe 15 or 20. There was a big, huge circle in some flat in San Francisco, and everyone went around and introduced themselves and said, like, why they were there. And um, for one, I was the oldest woman in the circle, number one. Number two, um, it was remarkable how many women, and let me, the, the profile of this community are like ambitious, super smart, really competent women who are, who are, you know, living it in a lot of ways on their own terms. You know, they've moved from everywhere to pursue their dreams. They're working at, you know, gene therapy companies and investment companies and, you know, VC, they're VC, they're managing their own portfolios. They're like, they, these women are like on it, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was incredible to me going around the room so many women in the room said, I'm here tonight. I do this. I work at this fancy company. I'd have this fancy job. I and I'm here because I don't have any friends. Yeah. Yeah. And my heart just like, yeah. I was like, like, it makes me choked up even thinking about it right now. I was like, but you are all the women who are that sort of picture of ambition and, and, you know, sort of getting what you want in life. And um, it was – nobody used the L word. Yeah. Nobody yeah. used lonely, which I know is a, a, a word you use a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just stuck with me, and I kind of put it in my back pocket. And then when I met you, I was like, I want to have this conversation one day, and this is exactly the time to do it. And, you know, how where do friendships fit in to our – you know, fit into our lives as we pursue our goals? So that's that's sort of like the seat of the conversation I had I want to have today. Yeah, I love that story. It just puts a face and a feeling to exactly what is so, so, so common. And it reminds me, it's, it's, I used to be a life coach back in the day, and it was life coaching those people you just described, where they were hiring me for all kinds of other big, amazing goals. And it, to each person, I would ask, what are your friends saying? How are your friends supporting you? Because I knew, I wasn't a friendship expert back then, that wasn't my thing, but I knew from the research that if they, you know, if they want to go start a company, but all their friends think that's irresponsible, there's going to be some kind of disconnect. But if all their friends start their own companies, that's a whole different thing. And so I was always asking, like, what are your friends saying about this? Or, you know, and it, to a person, they were just like, ah, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I just went through a divorce and all my friendships are kind of up in the air. Or like, well, I just moved here a couple of years ago and I've lost touch with those friends, but I haven't made new friends friends or I don't really talk about this kind of thing with my friends. And I mean, it was almost to a woman and I I walked away with a similar feeling like, wow, like just wow, that we are some of the most successful, brilliant, amazing go-getters um, are feeling that loneliness. And that was really my deep dive into like, 
how can I help these women and starting looking for resources that really is what kind of put me down this road of like, where are the resources? <laughs> and like, wow, this is really dismal. And there's so much compelling research. And yet nobody's translating that. And everybody's obsessed with romantic relationships and parent-child relationships when the vast majority of the relationships in our lives are not those few. It's like all the other ones that really, for especially for women, but men too, correlate so much to our health and happiness. And so really that was the deep dive for me, the kind of the impetus. Uh, so yeah, similar story where you look around and, and I'm often on stage now speaking to, um, you know, we often use the word lonely to think of this recluse, this hermit, this person with no social skills. We haven't seen them in a couple of years. Their shutters are closed. And I'm like, the truth of the matter is the loneliest people today are the successful. They're the ones who are so busy with so many relationships. They are, could be very popular, very schedule. They're taking care of kids and family and they're, and they're good daughters and mothers and fathers. And, and they're often in careers where they're taking care of people and are charming and amazing and have great people skills and are liked. And yet at the end of the day, they feel like, does anybody really know me? You know, am I really confiding in anyone? Does, am I seen for who I am? Am I loved for who I am? And that, that feeling right there is that hunger for being really close to people. Yeah, there so in that I feel like there's a there is a seat when we look at our lives there's like if it, our if our lives are a big dining table, you know, you, you look at like okay, there's my romantic partner, you know, he or she, or they sit in that chair. There's the people that I care for, mm-hmm. you know, kiddos maybe, they sit in that chair. My bosses and the people that I report to, the people that are the power holders in my life, they sit in that chair and then my network quote unquote my network, you know, sits in that chair and then like there's all these chairs that belong to different things like what what are friendships for mm, yeah well and our friends our friends can be in some of those categories and in some of those chairs for sure and so you know like right now that i mean as you were saying the book i just wrote the business of friendship as adults work is the number one place where we're making our friends and so that network could Main, could hold some of our best friends, certainly our boss and our colleagues. And so our friends can be there. I use the word uh, friend broadly uh, in those kinds of ways to recognize that any relationship, my definition of friendship is any relationship where both people feel seen in a safe and satisfying way. And I wrote so, that down. I wrote that down and put it on my star, sticky note right next star, to me. Yeah. <laughs> and so it can be broad. And I would say like, you know, here we are, Arthur and Dia and myself are connecting. And in this moment, we would have the loosest level of that. You know, we're not confiding. We're not going to be, we're not con- keep promising ourselves to be friends forever. But in this moment, we each want to be seen in a way that feels safe. And then we get off and feel satisfied. And that would be the hope I have for any meeting, for any connection. But obviously, that would increase in intimacy or in depth or in deepness, the the more we practice those things. And so I use the word intimacy to kind of be the coined word for like the deepest level of intimacy. And I think that's when I'm doing my research, that's what most of us are missing. Most of us actually know enough people. Most of us know how to be kind to people and be friendly with people. Most of us, when we're lonely, it's because we're missing the intimacy, the highest levels of that, where I truly feel seen in so many areas of my life where it's not, I'm not just a mom in this group and a, and a kick-ass woman in this group and a, a father in this group and somebody in this church. But it's like some, those, relationships where I'm known, I'm seen, it feels good, they're there for me, and I can trust those those bonds. And so I think for all of us, though, it's it's having a mix. We One of the biggest studies that jumped out at me when I was researching this book was that uh, Dr. Niven from Ohio State University, I believe, he said, 
uh, people often think of happiness as this really ambiguous thing, like just jello, it's hard to nail against the wall. And he said, it's not ambiguous at all. We have, he took all the research studies around the world, longitudinal studies of all these different friendships. And he said, 70% of our happiness comes down to our relationships. And when you look at all the things that make us happy, and that made up, he put it into four categories of the quantity of our relationships, the quality of our relationships, our family relationships, and then our, our, our colleagues and, net, and neighbors and kind of that group. And so some of us do really well in one or two of those, but we, the happiest people, the ones who feel most connected, have that kind of breadth of a network and depth in with a few people. And they all, and they all matter to our happiness. I suspect that that women, that those women in that circle that I mentioned in my earlier story, or have have a have a really wide net. Maybe the you know the breadth is there, but maybe the depth is not. And there's two things that are coming up for me as I think about this. One is like, I have had moments in my so, uh, well, three things actually. One is that I didn't really have. I don't have the only friend that I somebody who I could have that seen in a safe and satisfying way, you know, that is continued from my earlier life is my husband. I don't have any friends left over from high school, college, because I think, you know, you speak about how frequency or or um you don't use the word frequency, but the, the consistency, consistency is one of yeah, those, done yeah. with college, the consistency of, of being in study group together is gone or, you know, being housemates is gone. And so as soon as that consistency is gone, there's no other forcing function to, to keep that consistency going or for whatever reason. And I moved to the Bay Area after I had kiddos. And I remember my mother-in-law saying to me, I was like, oh, where should I put the kids in preschool? What do I need to look for in preschool? What does that mean? Does academics matter? Like, does proximity matter? Like, what's, you know, what's the thing that matters? And she was like, girl, your kids don't care. Your kids do not care where they go to preschool. She was like, why you need to go to preschool is that you need friends. And she said, that's why you have to go to a co-op. And we went to a we we registered for a co-op, and I have friends now that are ten, twelve years old that are heart, yeah, that are totally in my heart. That so so you know I made friends. Not my brother has friends left over from his kidhood that are rich and deep, and they are deeply connected. I didn't have that. I had to make them sort of in in my late thirties. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Makes me think that I have had moments in my thirties as well where other women. I mean, I'm in my forties now. Um, other women have sat with me and have said, like, I can see them sweating and awkwardly saying they want to be friends with me and to not know how to get started. Yeah. So I wonder, like, for, for women who know they need and want more depth, you know, what's the first step they take? Yeah. And I, let me just normalize what you just named. I mean, it's really incredibly common. And we have a lot of shame in our culture around like if we have if we have to admit we need friends, that there's something wrong with us. And it's so heartbreaking. Uh, the research actually shows that we replace our half of our close friends every seven years. So you think about who you're close to now and chances are high that those a few of those names are not people you were confiding in seven years ago. You may not have even known them seven years ago. And so certainly there are the stories uh, hopefully half of our network, our close friends, like you said, you, you maintain, you kind of made it past that seven year and they can become more going through different life stage friends with you. But for many of us, there is a revolving door there. And that goes all the way through. I do a lot of, I do a lot of uh, interviews like with ARP and with retirees. I mean, there's a whole nother level of dro- friends dropping off when we quit our careers. And so it's, it's normal, I guess is what I just want to say that all through our life, we have to become adept at making new friends. It's not something to be ashamed of at all. It's the, that's those of us who quickly 
identify that. And really the first thing that I'm always kind of big on is, is, um, kind of just prioritizing a little bit. I mean, it depends. I think my first book was Friendships Don't Just Happen. And one of the things I love about that book is I have an assessment in there and I teach the five different types of friends. And what I love about that is that for some people, they're surprised that they're lonely because they're like, I have a lot of friends. Like, why am I feeling this? And so it's helpful to identify, well, I, I have these three or four different types of friends, but I'm missing this type of friend. And so for some, for some of us, it's, it's lonely for a certain experience, a certain type of friend, which can be really helpful to identify. Um, some of us are lonely because we just moved to a new area and we truly don't know people and we don't feel like we belong or we started a new, our kids started a new school or we started attending a new religious or anywhere we want to be regular is going to feel lonely until we feel like we have some relationships there. So for some of us, it's like, I don't feel rooted in this place, this context, this job yet. Um, and so that's our loneliness. It doesn't mean we don't have best friends. It might mean we need to make relationships in this space. And for some of us, it's truly what I was speaking to earlier, the um, I really believe that the majority of us and the research is backing this up, that it's not for lack of interaction, but it's for lack of intimacy. And so for most of us, I would venture to guess the best place to start is naming of the people you do know. You already just assume you know enough people. I think many of us jump to the conclusion that if I'm lonely, I need to go meet more people. And that might be true for a few of us in those first examples I gave. But for the vast majority of us, we know enough people. It's that we don't know how to actually turn the people we've met into friends. And so for, yeah. That's exactly so, that, that. That's exactly like literally one night after a mix uh, after a gathering that I hosted. One woman stayed just awkwardly procrastinating for a really long time until I was like, <laughs> "Girl, I'm turning off the lights." And her husband called, and she goes, "Hey, babe." She's like in the phone. She's like, "Hey, babe. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm having the conversation right now. Okay, see you in an hour." <laughs> in that moment, she like she basically friend proposed to me. Or, or friend, like, will you go out on a first date with me? And there was incredible vulnerability in that. What I'm hearing you say is, like, we can actually take inventory of the friends that come from lots of different places in our lives and and make a decision about who we want to deep who we want to deepen with. Is that what I'm hearing you say? I think that's the first place to start is kind of prioritizing. Like, I, I'm like, pull out a post-it note. Don't make this overly complicated. And just like write down the names of a few people that you wish you were closer to, that you lean in when they're around, that you uh, enjoy being with. Like don't overcomplicate it, but just kind of start writing down five, six names. And then just the goal is to start kind of prioritizing. And we can get into like, what are the three requirements of every relationship? I typically wouldn't be um, encouraging the friend proposal concept. I love her bravery. And I think most of us err on the other side and could like, you know, practice doing a little more more brave stuff, but it doesn't have to be, uh, trying to jump a somebody, proposal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so some, some jump somebody from what, you know, from one to five right away. It's like, let, let's just like figure out how to just slowly keep adding in the ingredients that we know bond people and trust that, uh, as we do that with a, a hand, a handful of people, we will find a few people that are responsive and that we can deepen that with. Yeah, and to be fair, by the way, she and I are still really good friends. I give her awesome. all my leftover baby clothes. Our baby, like we, lots, ha lots has happened since then. And and really, her friendship proposal for me wasn't like, can I call? Can we be friends? It was more like, I want to get to know you to get better. Like, can we find time in the next month to like have lunch? Or you know, she was basically like, I've identified you as somebody that I'm really interested in learning more about. Can we find a, a way to do? Can I? Can you? Can you fit me into your life a little bit so we can get to know one another? It definitely wasn't wasn't a deep end moment, but I did recognize that there was a little bit of like making the offer to take me to lunch was in and of itself a risk, you know, because she was opening herself to me just a little bit. 
we have a whole culture around dating where they, there's protocol and it, the rules are changing all the time, so to speak. But we understand that to get to know each other, one of us has to invite the other person to go do something. We have to hang out. Then we know that if it went well, we need to do it again sometime. And it's like we have this like these terms and we'll eventually have a conversation that says, like, are we exclusive or are you still dating? And like, where, like, who are we as a relationship? What are we like? We have these like steps. But with friendship, it's one of the most complicated factors is that we don't know who should be inviting who. And is it like, is it awkward? to invite and I can't just walk up and say you look great look kind of your phone number and call you and you look fun and like yeah there is a lot less uh, acceptance and cultural familiarity around that so it's going to feel more awkward <laughs> so in in your book the business of friendship making the most of our relationships where we spend most of our time you know the the I have been in and around you know I have only had a job for three years of my entire adult life I've been an independent professional like my whole life and you know but but I am in and around the world of like managing people and feedback and, you know, goal setting, performance reviews and all that stuff. And we talk a lot about our performance. We do a lot of this feedback stuff, but I never hear folks talking about managers or coworkers talking about their relationships explicitly, not like, not necessarily tied to like performance feedback, but just like how strong is our relationship? How are we doing on this relationship? Like, like explicitly talking about that, what you talk about the third entity, you know, um, in your book, you reference the third entity there, like how much more can we talk about our relationships with one another? Mm, so much more. One of the assessments I go into companies and do is I have a, a healthy team relationship assessment and each person on the team has to answer uh, basically 10 questions in each of the three requirements of relationship and they end up getting a score. Uh, so that's their experience of their relationship or their belonging on the team. And then we take all those individual scores and uh, compile them to come up with team averages. And it's one of the most fun conversations to start really talking about is saying positivity. That's your lowest score as a team. So how are we expecting to bond? Like why would people want to keep showing up more often if they feel worse when they hang out with you? Or like why are, this is why they're not looking forward to those virtual meetings every single day, like they get off more tired, more drained, you know, and so we can start looking at um, and kind of assessing it. it gives us this tangible language to actually kind of name and say, we know now what bonds people together. And so we can actually look at and evaluate and do a better job of saying this isn't a personal attack. This isn't like something that any one person, I think that's one of the most powerful things about it actually is that it's, it's often not because they're, they're bad or they're toxic or all this kind of stuff. It's simply that most of us have never been taught how to build meaningful relationships. When you look at the big job studies now, social skills are the number one requirement. Like we so often think we're in this technical age, but the truth of the matter is most of our jobs, like once we learn the technology of that job, it's the same thing every single day. Like our, we're not having to do that much more computer innovation stuff every day. It's kind of becomes routine. Whereas it's those interpersonal relationships that can just continue to be, to be such a rub. And so we aren't, we have not, most of us have not been trained in our social skills. We don't actually know what to do, where you avoid conflict, we're afraid of rejection. I mean, so this is an area that gets really messy. And I think one of the most powerful things we can do, I'd love, not that it needs to be a performance review, but having language for talking about this as a, as a team, or even just as a friendship to just being able to, it's okay to come and say, I have needs, or when you do this, I feel this way, or like, how could we make this better? Or like, what, what, what makes you feel most loved, you know, and so be able to actually talk about our relationship is so powerful. 
so I do this weekly thing with a small group of women. We call we call it the bitch and wine. And um, it's an hour right now because we're in COVID. It's a Zoom call. Otherwise, it's sitting on somebody's back deck, you know, and we just <laughs> we bitch and whine. And what we don't is try to what we don't do is try to solve each other's problems. We yes, just let yes. each other bitch and whine. Love it. Love and sometimes, it. sometimes it's W-H-I-N-E and sometimes it's W-I-N-E or whatever. <laughs> we could call it bitch and tea if people were bringing tea that day. But um, Arthur, have you been invited to this one? This one sounds very fun. No, I'm still waiting for my invite on that one. <laughs> well, I can't promise that it's going to happen within three hours, you know, any further out than three hours. Went. No, I'm just kidding. It's an ongoing date. If all but, I have to um, do is bring my complaints, then that's much easier than having to prepare food. It's pretty easy potluck. It is a potluck of complaints. That's exactly what it is. Oh, Listen, my God. I can, that's I can bitch about stuff right now if you want. <laughs> Let's so turn the, this around. I was thinking about, you know, so the question inside of this is like, what different, how do friendships help us reach our goals, even when our friends don't give a shit about our goals? So like this group of women that I, and I told them I was going to sort of gently throw them under the bus this way, but it's not really throwing, throwing them under the bus that like these girls, they love me. They tell me they love me, but literally I, I like, I don't think any one of us could say very accurately what each other do professionally. You know, one's a lawyer, one's an eye doctor, one uh, is a, is a, a pet. She does stuff with pet, with animals. Um, you know, I do what I do, whatever the hell this is, you know, uh, <laughs> one of them's a public health, like it, like that, but we couldn't get, so, so what I mean is. You know, sometimes I'll say, guys, I'm doing this thing. I have this goal. And, you know, they know last year, you know, maybe they didn't know. But I can say, I have this goal. And they're like, yay for you. Or if I, like, make a big achievement toward it, they're like, uh-huh. But when are we going camping next? You know, there's like <laughs> – so, so – but for some reason, it doesn't hurt my heart. It doesn't make me feel ignored. It makes me feel like whether I'm reaching my goals or not – uh, and I actually brought this up with him last night. I was like, what is it about our friendships that our friendship that is okay when I'm trying to do stuff and you girls are hardly even watching? And I think, and my friend Maya said, it's be, she said, it's because we're here for who you are, not what you, not what you do. So in the business of friendships, in the front end of the book, you talked a lot about how, you know, friendships can lower our stress levels, which maybe helps us perform better. I don't know. So what are your thoughts about how do our, how do our friendships help us reach our goals even when they don't give a shit about our goals? <laughs> <laughs> I love how you articulated that. And it's one of the things when I like kind of circling back to that first book, the friend, the, uh, friendships don't just happen. I teach five different types of friends and you're describing kind of the fifth, the fifth deepest level where it's like, we have consistency, we have vulnerability, we leave feeling good. Uh, those are the three requirements of relationship, positivity, consistency, and vulnerability. And so uh, you have that with them. And so often we can sometimes, whether it's, whether it's to your story with its career, it's often happens too, where women will say, um, all my friends are married and I'm the only single one or one of the one of the stories I share in that book is one of my friends was the first one to have a baby in that group and and she was just like you guys don't know this side of me right and so we could empathize and we could kind of love her and like what your friends do with you like yay but we don't know what it's like to have a baby and be up all night long and so I said go make a group make some friends with moms like join a mom's group and she was I felt like she was kind of betraying us to do that and I was like no that's a part of you that needs to be expressed and seen and supported and then it was so interesting because down the road uh you know a few months later I was like how's that mom's group going and she was like they don't even know me outside of being you know Lily's mom and so they don't even know what I do and like and I was like that's okay that's what we're here for you know 
And so it was an interesting thing for us to realize like that second group of friends is the common friends. Like these are people that I'm here because we're committed to losing weight because we're surviving cancer together, because we're entrepreneurs, because we're authors, because we're, we're in the law firm, you know? And so we, we have this commonality and it's so powerful because we do want to be seen in that area. We do need to surround ourselves with people who can support that, give ideas to that, who actually know what's going on in that zone. That's what makes work friends so powerful is they get my friends who are authors. They know what it means that I've published a book. Whereas my other friends are like, yeah, you published a book, but they have no clue, you know, what goes on and what that really means. And just like, I don't know what it's like to wake up all night long with a crying baby. We can empathize, we can cheer. And I think there's something so beautiful about having those friends who kind of know that experience, but commonality while can while giving you a lot in a certain context is not what actually bonds us. And so we can have a whole bunch of commonality and you would be missing what you have with those friends that your, your bitch and wine group, what you have with those friends is friendship where you've got the positivity, the consistency and the vulnerability. Commonalities are only important in a relationship if they help us do those three things. And so you could line me up with like my twin and it doesn't mean we're better. We're going to any be any better friends unless we practice those three things. And so I'm a kind of one of those people who says it's not either or it's like, make sure you have those friends who know your heart, who you can be real with what you have there. And if there's a side of you that like is wanting to be a painter right now, or wanting to go write a book or wanting to run a marathon, like rather than be mad at our friends for not having the same goal or the same career or the same life stage, go find people who can support that side of you. And then don't be mad at those friends for not knowing your heart too. Like they serve different purposes and it's okay. They both, they both are meaningful in different ways and on both sides help you live your goals. Like it's powerful that your friend was able to say, we love you for who you are. We don't care if you fail all your goals. Whereas in a group of people who are just like you, you might feel a lot more judgment there. You may not feel as safe being vulnerable if you're not making those goals, you know? And so there's different dynamics. And I think it's, I think those of us who live with the most sense of connection and love and acceptance in our lives are those who know that different friends uh, meet uh, meet different needs in us, see us in different ways that feel safe and satisfying, and they'll see different sides of us. And I think that's important. I think it's good. And I think it leaves you feeling more supported in more areas of your life. You wrote in and, and released the Business of Friendships last year in 2020. <laughs> why does that, why does this book matter now? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. There's nothing worse than like realizing you're uh, everyone's working remote when you're actually telling <laughs> telling the world it's really important that these friendships matter at work. Um, it's interesting to watch. And I will say though, our work relationships still matter whether they're virtual or in person. And that is because we are spending the bulk of our day making whatever contribution it is we're each making. Uh, this is the bulk of our day. This is the bulk of our hours and what we're spending our lives doing. And it is, if we feel lonely in that, if we don't feel witnessed, if we don't feel seen, if we don't feel supported in that, it is virtually impossible to make up our social needs uh, outside of that. We cannot, we know that we don't have this like bucket of personal life that we can spend enough time building friendships in. So that used to be what I was spending so much time doing. My first few books were, you know, how, here's how to make friends. And it was almost always in your personal life because we've often treated, uh, you know, friendship in that section. And I was like, I could talk you into one more phone call a week. I could talk you into one more girls weekend a year. And it's not going to turn this ship around. Like if you're lonely at the bulk of your day, um, then we can't make this up. And so it's really important that we, that we, it's kind of like sending your kids to school and hoping that they don't build any friendships at, at school and then thinking that you can make it up in the afternoon play program or something. I mean, we just need all the whole time. So um, it's really important now for us to be having these conversations. Do we, how do we do this if we stay remote? How do we do this? 
safely, if we're in person, we know that people who are, feel like they have a best friend at work are seven times more engaged. So if I'm an HR person, if I'm a manager, this is a really big deal to me. If I care about mental health, if I care about resiliency, if I care about um, your engagement and retention, then I should be asking how am I, not just how many meetings are we having and are we getting our meeting our product numbers, it should be coming down to what am I doing to help make sure my team feels connected to each other, likes each other, feels like they're supported by each other. And that really becomes, if we can take care of that piece, then it actually, so much of the other things that we stress about will actually play out better. We have better customer service. We have more creativity. They feel safer brainstorming. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. If we can focus on making people feel like they belong at work, it's so important. And where can folks find you and do more with you, Shasta? Well, thebusinessoffriendship.com has where you can get the, the book and then a whole bunch of free stuff um, if, that you can do that. And then shastanelson.com if you are looking for me to come in and work with a team or a corporation or speak, happy to do that and sign up for my list there. You never know what I'm going to do. I don't even know what I'm going to do year to year. <laughs> like I do international trips and retreats and, you know, it just changes all the time. So if you want to like be a part of any of that, you'll have to sign up for my list and when I know what I'm doing, you'll know what I'm doing. <laughs> and you you have something called a friend to Missy quiz that folks can take as well. Is that true? Yes, yes. If you go to shastanelson.com, right along the top is a, is that quiz. And that's a great quiz for helping you uh, kind of assess yourself as a friend in positivity, consistency, and vulnerability. We can measure the health of any relationship by those three things. I can guarantee anybody listening that you have never built a meaningful relationship without those three things. And conversely, any relationship that's not feeling meaningful right now, it's because at least one of those three things is lacking. And so that quiz will help you kind of take an assessment of if you were to focus on one of those three things that would make the biggest difference to you feeling more connected to your friendships, which one would it be? Well, fantastic. I loved having you, Shasta. You're amazing. And I. this is going to be the not, this is not the last potluck of ideas we're going to have. <laughs> and Arthur and I want to be invited to one of those uh, bitch and wines at some point. <laughs> yeah. All right. Great. I love it. All right. Thanks, Shasta. She's class act. Yeah. You know, I, she and I were gigging it up a little bit. Uh, in the before we started, and I, I was like, you know, it was a little nervous for me being a this first formal interview for the podcast, and I was like, I hope I don't, I don't, I hope I don't totally ruin it. And how could you possibly ruin it with somebody like somebody like that? Oh yeah, yeah, so good, so so good. So, what were the big ones for you? That big ideas today? Well, you know, the 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 thing that really that stood out to me, and it's something I've actually thought about before, and my wife and I have talked about. But it's, you know, the acquiring of new friends when you're older and the idea that you don't necessarily have to go out and try to meet new people. There are probably lots of people that you like and might want to be friends with that you already know, acquaintances or work friends or whatever. And, you know, my wife and I have talked about it many times, like, hey, we should become real friends with so-and-so or this couple or this person. Like, they're really cool. Like, we should... You know, of course, this last year, the pandemic has made it a lot harder to actually, you know, hang out with people. And I'm just so sick of like Zoom hangouts and stuff. So, yep. Uh, yep. but yeah, it's it's something that uh, that stood out to me. And, and the idea of actually like writing down on like a list of people that these are cool people. Let's become friends with them. Yeah. Um, and not, and not doing it in the formal way, like you were saying, yeah. uh, one of your friends did with yeah, you, yeah, but, yeah. but just, you know, reaching out to them, trying to hang out, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
Yeah, I think that's I, that stood out for me too. Is there anything else before I just go off on my what stood out for me? That was my main. That was my main thing that like felt really personally relevant to me. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you know, I mean, I've been married for twenty one years, and you know, uh, the sort of three aspects of friendship, you know, um, that she talked about are ones that like I think we've been pretty active about about doing in our marriage, and that's what's helped. And I think helped us stay, you know, not just married, but like actually connected. And um, I think it's really, well, two things. One is that I think we can intentionally just activate these tools in the friendships that we do want to deepen or maintain in a real way. Um, The other thing that I thought was really interesting was when she said that, you know, that we, the research shows that every seven years, we may cycle through some friendships, which implies that either deep friendships become shallower or maybe they end for one, you know, you know, for one reason or another, either abruptly or otherwise. And, you know, there is potential for a loss in all of these. And it's just part of the cycle of connections, part of the cycle of our lives. I mean, for um, in her book, uh, uh, Business of Friendship, you know, leaving a job where you've cultivated friendships that you depend on has got to have real loss in it. And so I think, you know, there's a vulnerability as well, investing in a friendship, knowing that, you know, if it ends and when it ends or changes, that we have to just experience that loss and have that be part of the experience of our friendships. Oh, yeah. And a lot of things can affect that. Like, you know, I grew up in Vermont, first 20 something years, 21 years, and then I moved out here. And all my close friends from back there with a handful of people who actually moved out here as well, they're still, I consider my friends and I see them when I'm home, but I don't keep in touch with them. I don't talk to them regularly. There's like one guy from high school that I still keep in touch with regularly and we text and we talk on the phone every once in a while, but that's kind of it. And I, you know, I remember having to accept that when I was still in my twenties that, oh, these people, I moved to California and I'm not going to be close with most of these people anymore. Right, because consistency, which is one of the three aspects, you know, of a friendship, is is nearly impossible when you're three thousand miles away from one another. Yeah. So that's that's really it's that's really yeah that's really that's real, and you know when I think about uh, when I think about friendships and how they they reach our I love that she said look you can you can ha- you can have a whole portfolio of friends your com- what she called common friends where they're they're looking to you know, achieve similar goals in a similar ter- similar territory and they can serve that need. And then you have friends like my Bitch and Wine crew who, you know, are a place to relax and a place to feel seen in a more sort of quiet way, maybe not tied to outcomes, which actually does help me with my goals because I have respite, you know, from being in sort of that, that um, I don't know, achievement mode or in that striving mode. Um, and that's a really beautiful and cherished thing for me. So, bitch and wine crew, big ups to you. All right, I think that was a great episode today, so Arthur. Good. I'm so I'm so happy to have done this with you and with Shasta. And I'm gonna see you all around the bend. Yeah. All right. Goodbye, everybody. This podcast is a production of Dia Bondi Communications and is produced and musicified by Arthur Leon Adams III, a.k.a. Baby A. You can like, share, rate, and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Find us at diabondi.com or follow us on Instagram at The Dia Bondi Show. Want to shoot us a question for the show? Call us at 341-333-2997.